All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today is a Twitter Tuesday in which I will be answering your listener questions that you submitted on Twitter, as well as breaking down the first official signing of the Terry Fontenot era. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. been covering the Falcons for many years over at FalcFans.com, RIP. Still going strong on Twitter, at FalcFans. And, of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And today is a Twitter Tuesday in which I will be answering your Twitter questions on today's podcast. We have a bunch of Twitter questions. We had so many Twitter questions that there's a uh, well, I know I'm not going to be able to answer them all on today's episode, so we will probably be doing a Twitter Wednesday as well and pushing some of these questions to tomorrow's episode. But we have some of the questions include what is the worst case scenario for the Falcons at the number four pick? Will the Falcons try to trade for a guard like Andrew Norwell? Will the Falcons be looking for a running back by committee? We'll talk in depth about the Falcons potential to trade back. And you'll also get my thoughts on what's my favorite drink. So that's all the things that we have ahead for us on today's Twitter Tuesday episode of Lockdown Falcons. But before we get into that, I got to talk about the first signing of the Terry Fontenot era. And that was none other than punter from Wake Forest, Dom Maggio. Maggio was an undrafted free agent with the Ravens last summer, but only really lasted a week in the training camp before he was cut. The footnotes on Maggio include he was Pro Football Focus's second team, all ACC punter in 2019 behind, drumroll please, Sterling Hoffrichter, the Falcons' current punter. So is this a shot across the bow of Sterling Hoffrichter? Probably not. You know, it's just the Falcons bring in some competition. And while it may be underwhelming to a lot of folks that this is the first move that Terry Fontenot, the first signing that Terry Fontenot has had as his new regime as a general manager takes place, you know, it shouldn't be a huge surprise because if you go back to 2015, when Dan Quinn sort of took over the franchise and got sort of that final roster control back in 2015, the first signing the Falcons made in the Dan Quinn era was none other than Alan Bradford, who was a former running back turned linebacker that played exclusively on special teams with the Seahawks in his prior seasons before joining the Falcons. That signing was made on February 13, 2015. Their next signing was Nick Williams, who did return kicks in his brief stint with the Washington Redskins. Prior to the Falcons signing him, then over the next month, the Falcons extended a bunch of sort of special teams guys, including Patrick DeMarco. And people forget that in, back in 2015, Patrick DeMarco wasn't necessarily the fullback that we all have come to love and adore. And, you know, he was basically at that point in time in his career more of a replacement level fullback, but most of his major contributions were on special teams. They also extended Cliff Matthews, who wasn't getting much look on defense, but was playing consistently on special teams. Nate Stupar, Eric Weems, as well as the incomparable Matt Bryant. And then we saw at the outset of free agency that year, the Falcons re-signed Antone Smith. 
right? Who was a gunner on punt teams. Croy Beerman, who was also a part of the team's special teams units. They were able to pick up players like Philip Adams, who served as a backup corner and a special teams contributor. O'Brien Schofield, a pass rusher that also played on special teams in Seattle. So those were guys that were more special teams players and more role players on defense. So clearly, as we saw in 2015, and now Terry Fontenot is instilling this motto, special teams matter big time for the Atlanta Falcons. And I I think it's going to be interesting to sort of see if this new regime kind of follows down that same path where they kind of focus a lot on special teams players at the outset of free agency, whether that's the players that they decide to bring back that are impending Falcons free agents, similar to what we saw in 2015, or whether they wind up signing a bunch of cheap veteran free agents to fill out some depth roles that also have that special teams value, especially in the, in the back seven of their defense this March. And, you know, for those curious, which impending Falcon free agents had the biggest roles on special teams this past year, that would be none other than Sherrod Neesman, Leroy Reynolds, Luke Stocker, and Edmund Robinson. So I know many of you were hoping for a little bit more sex appeal, with Terry Fontenot's first big move. And you probably won't get as much later this month as you're probably hoping for. And I understand that. I certainly, for most of the offseason, was hoping for a couple of big splashes, some sex appeal with the Falcons, um, free agent signings. But outside of maybe a big name safety, it seems like there's increasing momentum and all the tea leaves that we're reading suggest that the Falcons are going to be relatively low key. And you're going to see a free agent signing period that probably much more mirrors what the Falcons did in 2015, where, you know, they didn't really get that sex appeal. You know, their signings were Brooks Reed, Justin Durant, Mike Person, Leonard Hankerson, Adrian Claiborne, Philip Adams, O'Brien Schofield, Tony Moyaki, and Jacob Tammy. And those guys didn't bring a ton of sex appeal. Now, obviously, some of those players outperformed expectations. Some of those players didn't outperform those expectations. Brooks Reed was sort of the big name of that free agent class alongside Justin Durant. But both of those guys were primarily complimentary starters rather than sort of star players. So, again, I think you might see a bigger name at safety. And then outside of that, I don't know if you're going to see that many big names. You're going to see probably a lot more signings that much more mirror Leonard Hankerson and Adrian Claiborne at the time, and hopefully they will have the return on investment that we got out of Adrian Claiborne, as well as someone like a Jacob Tammy and wound up, you know, outperforming those contracts over the, the course of, of the next couple of seasons. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but we'll also sort of get into uh, a listener question about which positions the Falcons may target some potential starters at later this month. And we'll get into that coming up on today's podcast. But before we get there, guys, I want to let you know that bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. The NFL might be over, but the NBA college basketball, NHL, NASCAR, and FCS college football are all in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Get real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine because bet online has you covered for all the news scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, sign up today at betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. 
So betting on football doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, as well as Lee's lock of the day by subscribing to the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcasts. So our first Twitter question comes from Burned Backhouse. He asks, what position groups do you expect the Falcons to address in free agency with players at least capable of starting multiple games? So I'm expecting the Falcons to target starters at positions such as left guard, nose tackle, cornerback, and free safety. Running back is also a possibility. Strong safety is definitely a possibility. Tight ends a possibility. Edge is a possibility, particularly if they cut Dante Fowler. If they don't cut Dante Fowler, I could definitely see them waiting until the draft to address their need at that position. One flew over the Falcons nest at Mave 2124 on Twitter asked, is there a limit to the number of players a team can designate as a post June one cut? As far as I know, they haven't changed this with the new CBA and in my brief Google search did not come up that suggested that they did. So the limit used to be two. So I'm assuming the, the limit is still two that you can only designate two players at the beginning of March as a post June one cut. Jace brood Ask worst case scenario come draft day for the Falcons at pick number four. Um, you know, I think you're probably looking for like a specific example of sort of some scenario, some combination of how picks one, two, three, and, and go, and that will set up to derail the Falcons' plans at pick four. And I, you know, I can't really think of an example of that. I just think ultimately anybody that winds up that they wind up selecting that is not good is the worst case scenario. You know, you don't want to be in a situation where you're drafting Aaron Curry, Matt Khalil, Leonard Fournette, or Cleveland Farrell, which probably go down over the last, you know, 10, 15 years as the worst number four overall selections over that period of time. And you don't want to be the team that's drafting those players. So that's the worst case scenario. And you're not going to know that until a couple of years down the road, because, you know, you look at guys like Khalil and Fournette, they really had strong rookie seasons and look like, oh, those are going to be home runs. And then things sort of petered out after there. So that's part of the reason why you got to wait with these draft picks because you can have guys that have really rough rookie seasons or really great rookie seasons and the rest of their career does not go that way. So our next question comes from Jess. Where's my money? Joe doll at this is the revolt on Twitter. He says what low cost slash high upside wide receivers could you see getting signed outside of Adam Humphreys? I've never really understood the Adam Humphreys connections that some people have raised now that he's been cut by the Titans. Humphreys, I don't think it really is adding anything to the Falcons that you're not already getting from Russell Gage. You know, it was announced, I think, today that the Titans were not going to tender uh, impending restricted free agent Khalif Raymond, their wide receiver. And, you know, that's going to make him an unrestricted free agent on March 17th. And I think the chances that the Falcons go out there and sign someone like Khalif Raymond is like a million times higher than someone like an Adam Humphreys, simply because Raymond gives the Falcons something that they lack at the position, which is a backup X wide receiver with four, three speed, which is very reminiscent to what Marvin Hall gave the Falcons uh, when he was with the team. And similar to Marvin Hall, he also has return skills and Humphreys isn't really adding anything that the Falcons don't already have engaged in, in Alameda Sakia. So I think, you know, Khalif Raymond would be the example I would use Jesse, uh, Andy at Andy S Gallagher asks, when will the Levitri esque trade for Andrew Norwell happen? 
Well, the Falcons would have to clear about $12 million in extra cap space in order to acquire Andrew Nora in addition to the cap space that they're going to have to wind up clearing to get all their roster moves done. So that would likely require the Falcons to have to do max restructures on a whole bunch of players, including Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, which at this point in time were tentative on whether or not the Falcons will wind up doing that this all season. So I don't see that trade potentially happen. I think if the Falcon, if the Jaguars, I'm sorry, do wind up cutting Norwell, which seems probable at this point in time, then maybe the Falcons can entertain adding him for much cheaper than $12 million this year uh, to potentially plug in as a left guard. But I think if the Falcons are going to trade for anybody, it's almost certainly going to be guys on rookie contracts just because they don't really have the cap space to, to get those guys that are on those big money second contracts. So, you know, I would say the Falcons trading for Garrett Bradbury is a lot more plausible than the Falcons trading for Andrew Norwell. Russell Irving at RG integer asks, who'd be your candidate for a surprise cut this offseason? I think we talked about this last Wednesday or Thursday on the podcast. And I think Isaiah Oliver was my answer. Uh, trade back season at LFG. Falcons asks, I read that Arthur Smith said he'd like to go running back by committee if we sign Jamal Williams from Green Bay, like you suggested, and have Ido and Allison. Would a running back in the second slash third round of the draft be too rich for Smith and Fontenot? I get the best player available aspect, but I'm just curious. Well, it depends on what the, this regime thinks of the running backs in this draft class. For example, if they have Javante Williams as 18th overall in their draft board, then they'll be very happy to take him at pick 35 in round two. If he's 48th on their draft board, they probably won't be particularly happy about that, uh, taking him that high. So my guess is the third or fourth round is probably going to be the sweet spot for the Falcons taking a running back. And I don't know if it has that much to do with them signing a player like Jamal Williams, but... It's just kind of where the value of this particular draft class is. And I actually think the reverse is true where the likelihood of the Falcons taking a running back at that point in, in those middle rounds of the draft pushes them to go out there and sign a player like Jamal Williams or somebody else in free agency. You know, over the past 10 years, there have been 71 running backs taken in rounds three and four of the draft. Todd Gurley, we saw last year, had 678 yards last year as the Falcons lead tailback. Only seven out of those 71 mid-round running backs eclipsed that rushing total in their first year in the NFL, meaning that the Falcons have a 10% chance of finding a more productive RB1 than Todd Gurley was last year if they wait till the third or fourth round of this year's draft. The average first year rushing total for a third, fourth round running back, it was 350 yards rushing, which is pretty much exactly what the Chargers got out of their fourth round running back, Josh Kelly, this past year. And Kelly wound up being the RB2 in basically a four-headed backfield with the Chargers. So I think the Falcons' approach to free agency at the running back position is going to be trying to find their version of Austin Eckler, who was their RB1. Although I'm sure you can sit there and say, well, Edo Smith is our Austin Eckler, and we need to find our Kalen Balage, which would then probably be Jamal. Williams or whatever the case may be, who was the RB three. And I think Justin Jackson was their RB four. So, you know, if, if Ito, the rookie and Olison are three fourths of the Falcons four headed backfield, similar to what we saw with the charges is the point I'm trying to make. They need to go out there and get the guy that can sort of be the lead guy. That's probably going to get 10 to 15 carries a game. So those are the answers to those questions. We still got Plenty more to go, including lots of conversation about the possibility and plausibility of the Falcons trading back in this year's draft. But before we get into that, as we continue today's Twitter Tuesday on Lockdown Falcons podcast, I want to tell you guys about the recent car maintenance I had to get done on my car. And I paid quite a pretty penny to get some brakes re 
vamped as well as get a taillight replaced. And once I saw that massive number on the receipt, I realized I should have just gone to rockauto.com and it would have been easy just to go to rockauto.com to find all the parts I needed for my car truck because rockauto.com's website has a easy to navigate catalog. I could type in the parts that I'm looking for and find them pretty easily for much, much cheaper, whether I'm looking for engine parts, motor oil, floor mats, or even the brake parts and tail lamps that I wound up needing. Everything I need is available at rockauto.com in just a few easy clicks, and it can be delivered directly to my or your door. And the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. The same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So don't be like me. Go to rockauto.com right now, ahead of time. See all the parts available for your car truck, right? Locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So Tuesday is a big day on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast where host Trevor Sikama and Ben Solak do their team takeover Tuesday as part of their offseason series where they each week they pick a new team, take a deep dive into their roster, their free agent strategies, and go through a mock draft. That's every Tuesday over at the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. So regular old Thomas Willoughby, not the new and improved Thomas Willoughby, at Willow2905.92 on Twitter asks, will a boy ever be born that can swim faster than a shark? And his second question is, is there an under-the-radar type name from last year's practice squad slash deep down the depth charts that you can see carving out a bigger role in 2021? So I'm wondering if your first question is a shark boy versus lava girl reference. I don't really know uh, that that reference goes over my head, but to answer this question seriously, the answer is no, because the minute a human boy is capable of outswimming a shark, it would require some sort of evolutionary changes that would cease to make him human. So a boy will never be able to outswim a shark. As for your second question, this is an interesting question because this is something I've thought about quite a bit over the last week when we talked about some of our breakout players a week or two ago. We've seen over the last couple of coaching changes and regime changes that there has always been sort of a player or two buried deep down the roster or deep down the jet chart that kind of emerged as a starter with the new coaching staff taking over. With Mike Smith and them, it was Brent Grimes and Harvey Dahl. Under Dan Quinn, it was Ricardo Allen. So the odds are are pretty decent that we might see a similar pattern repeat itself with the new regime. And I know a lot of people have high hopes for players like Quadri Olison and Deidre Sinat and Chris Rowland and Jalen Hawkins are some of the names I've seen various people throw out there. It's hard to pick for me personally, just because so much of this would have been based off of what I saw from players last summer during a preseason. And since we didn't have preseason, it's sort of just like, I don't know who's good or not. Like who's sort of secretly a good player that's just ready, waiting for an opportunity to break out uh, that I would normally use that litmus test and, and whether or not, you know, you could also throw players like Alameda Zacchaeus or Jaden Graham or Marlon Davidson or John Kaminsky. Do they, do they count on this potential thing? So those are guys that, you know, well, we'll keep an eye on and see how they perform. And if we start hearing buzz coming out of like various mini camps and, and whatnot come May and June, that may signal something. Cause I remember way, way back in the day in 08, when Harvey Dahl started creating this buzz about challenging Keenan Forney for a starting job. And I remember thinking like, there's no way that the Falcons are going to bench Keenan Forney, you know, for this Harvey Dahl guy. 
And our, the similar thing happened in 2015 where Ricardo Allen started making waves as potential starter at free safety. And I was like, there's no way that the Falcons are going to start Ricardo Allen. It's going to be Charles Godfrey is going to be their starting free safety. And Ricardo Allen is going to be the backup or whatever case it may be. And it wound up being wrong in both of those instances. So, you know, usually May or June, you start hearing those sort of uh, stories come out. So that'll be something to pay attention to. But Thomas, I do not have uh, uh, an earthly idea at this point in time, who that player will be. Uh, Carson Smith at big dog 44 asks, what is your guess on the probability that the Falcons trade down to get more picks slash assets instead of picking a quarterback or other high value player? Um, I think the probability of trading back is probably lower than a lot of other people seem to think. I think Carolina seems to be the only team that's really poised to trade up. And obviously they're not going to make a trade with the Falcons and outside of Carolina. I just don't not that convinced that other teams are going to be willing to pay the premium to come up and jump into the top four. A report came out Monday from Chris Mortensen on ESPN that the Eagles are seemingly from what I understand the report was saying that the Eagles are pretty content with Jalen hurts and are sort of out of the trade market for the quarterback position. I'm not quite sure I really buy that, but it does make some sense. It's not like a crazy take or anything, but you know, I'm just sort of taking a wait and see approach, but it does make sense because, you know, giving hurts another year uh, to sort of evaluate him rather than getting back and, and trading up for a quarterback, especially when you just traded away the last quarterback that you traded the farm away for five years ago, probably is not something that the Eagles are that interested in doing again. So I, I think they, they might take it easy. So that report from Mort uh, makes some sense. You couple all that with the, the possibility that, we didn't see any trades last year and you one wonders whether that was related to the fact that we had that sort of truncated off season due to COVID and whether we're going to see a similar effect on this year's off season where because teams will have less access to players, are they going to feel good enough to pay the premium to move up for those guys, particularly the quarterbacks. And, you know, I feel like a lot of people have sort of assumed all off season long that, you know, that fourth Overall pick is going to be highly coveted by teams and Terry Fontenot's phone is going to be ringing off the hook for people wanting to come up for that. And I've just been skeptical all along. You know, I think some have, you know, I think some of it's owed to some people playing up the trade value of the pick because I think it kind of allows them to be in denial over the possibility of the Falcons taking quarterback. And it just allows them to basically say like, Oh, why would we take a quarterback at four when we're going to get this windfall of a trade at four? And that's, clearly the best path rather than taking quarterback rather than really sort of facing that possible reality. Again, I don't know if, if the Falcons are going to take a quarterback at four, I think it's likely, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Now I'm sure those people would probably also counter. Well, Aaron, because you want the team to take a quarterback at four, you're playing down the, the, the trade back possibility or whatever the case may be. And, and that may be partially true as well. So we all have our biases or, or whatever the case may be. But as I've said before, I, I think teams in general are going to be a little bit more conservative this offseason as it comes to the draft. And yesterday we talked about that as it applies to not taking risks on players with injury histories or character concerns. And I feel like that also includes teams giving up draft assets this year, um, you know, especially in a year where teams are going to want to cut costs and accumulating draft assets would seemingly help you cut costs as opposed to giving them away. So it just seems like to me, and then you throw in the fact that the recent history of teams trading up for quarterbacks, particularly in the top five is not great. Whether we're looking at Jared Goff or Carson Wentz or Sam Darnold, or Mitchell Trubisky, 
And, you know, that hasn't worked out for teams. Now, I'm sure people will counter, well, what about Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson? Those worked out for those teams, which is true. And they weren't top five picks, but they were all top ten picks. But I think it's noteworthy that all three of those teams where it has worked out for them, whether we're talking about the Chiefs, the Bills, or the Texans, all three of those teams were playoff teams before they sort of, quote-unquote, gave up the farm to, to go get their quarterbacks of the future. And so it's interesting when you think about that. Like, if you're a playoff team, going up and getting a quarterback seems to be valuable. But if you're not a playoff team, going up and, and trading assets to get a quarterback doesn't make a ton of sense. So it would seem in that case that if we're talking about a team that it does make sense to come up to all the way to four to get a quarterback, it's not Carolina or any other team picking in the top you know, 20 picks. It's the Saints and the Steelers that should be the teams looking to jump that high uh, based off of that history that says if you're going to trade it for a quarterback, you better be a playoff team. Um, so we'll see. I'm not counting Washington. No, I'm not counting Washington. Washington, yes, technically they made the playoffs, but they were far from a playoff team last year. They were you know, a, a consolation prize playoff team. So we're not counting them as a team on par with teams like the the Texans, Bills, and Chiefs, although I know people, some people would argue that the Bills didn't deserve to go on, on in the playoffs the year prior to that. But, you know, those people cannot disrespect Tyrod Taylor as nearly as much as, as they're doing. But uh, uh, let's move on to the next question from Jeremy Christopher at Jeremy Christo on Twitter. He asks another trade back question. If we trade back in the first round, how far back are you willing to go and give me your ideal pick if we trade back player slash position picked? Uh, for me, if I'm trading back... I need to get a future first round pick as part of the package. If I'm the Falcons general manager, that's, that's sort of my base requirement. If I'm not getting that, then it's no, it's no deal for me. But the reason why I'm asking for that price is because I want to take the quarterback at four. And so you got to make it worth my while for me to pass on a quarterback at four. That gives me, and the reason why I need a future first round pick, because now I need two first round picks as ammo to potentially move up and get a quarterback in 2022 and uh, piggybacking off what we just talked about. Hopefully, the Falcons will be a playoff team and they're therefore make it worth their while uh, in 2022 by trading up for that quarterback. So for me personally, at this point in time, obviously I would have a different answer if I was actually the general manager and would have a good idea what this draft class is, but I don't, but like for me, I don't really care what I'm trading back in, what player I'm getting, what position I'm picking. As long as I get that 2022 first round pick as part of the package. So that's me. That's me if I'm inserting myself into the GM shoes. But if I'm saying, if I'm looking more at the Falcons and sort of being more objective when it comes to how I view their possible trade back market, obviously if they're trading back, they're out of the quarterback market and I won't necessarily hold them, them to that standard of getting a future first round pick, although I think it's ideal. But for me, what makes the most sense for the Falcons to trade back is that if they want to go offensive line, Instead of taking taking Penny Sewell at four, I would probably try to trade back and and try to get someone like Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern or Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC, you know, and plug that guy in at left guard where it's much more smoother of a fit into your offensive line than trying to figure out, okay, where does Sewell play? Where does Jake Matthews play? Where does Caleb McGarry play? And you're probably going to wind up playing somebody out of position if you draft Penny Sewell in that regard. Um, So I would probably take someone that's a little bit 
make an easier, smoother transition into inside the guard. And my guess is both of those guys are probably going to come off the board somewhere between picks 11 and 18. So that's probably the range I would try to move back into and try to pick one of those guys. And I probably, you know, based off of the various trade value charts, you could probably get a second round pick. If you move back from four to 11 or 12, uh, maybe more given the premium, the teams are presumably going to be paying for a quarterback. If you go as far back as 17 or 18, you're probably adding a third round pick in addition to that second round pick, or maybe you're getting two seconds, a second this year, a second next year, or something like that. In addition to whatever premium a team may be trading, uh, if they're trading up for a quarterback or whatever the case may be. So while that's not the direction I would go, if I was the Falcons GM, I wouldn't hate the decision. If that's the Falcons, if that's the direction the Falcons did go into, you know, as for Slater, as for Vera Tucker, I've watched Rashawn Slater. I like Rashawn Slater. You know, I don't think he's quite as good a prospect as Penny Sewell is, but I think he's a good prospect. I think he's a really solid sort of second tier offensive lineman. I'm not quite there with Vera Tucker. You know, I, I need to watch more of him, but like, I, I don't see a guy that immediately jumps out as this sort of top 15 talent that other people seem to be grading him as. Like, it just to me, he seems like more like, you know, he's in that sort of Cesar Ruiz sort of tier of player to me um, that is more of a late first round pick than a mid upper half of the first round player. But maybe, maybe there's a game or two that I need to watch where it will jump off to me. So our final question comes from Corey Peacock at Corey P 38 on Twitter. He says, some of former Falcons have been cut around the league. Who would you like to see return to Atlanta for a reunion? Also, if you drink, what is your drink of choice? Um, as for former Falcons getting cut, Desmond Trufant's the only one that I've heard about. Did I miss somebody else? But in terms of player, former Falcons that I want to bring back, it's probably all free agents, guys like Brian Poole, Marvin Hall. Um, I've curved my drinking habits quite a bit in recent years. You know, I, I'm a beer guy, but in recent years, one of the other things that I've curbed my drinking is, is soda. And I've often replaced that with, you know, seltzer or sparkling water. So I have become an increasing fan of like hard seltzer, like white claws and whatnot and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I, I've acquired that taste. Um, as for liquor, you know, I, I enjoy liquor, um, rum and tequila tend to be my go-tos. Uh, as for, you know, my, probably the hottest take I'll have on today's podcast is I, I don't really like IPAs. I think they're probably the most overrated food or beverage item that exists in human history. And I just don't understand how they have sort of cornered the market in terms of craft brews. Like when I go to the grocery store or go wherever to buy beer in this craft brewer section, like 90% of them are IPAs. And I just do not understand why I can either only buy Budweiser foreign beers or IPAs. Like it, it seems to me that's just weird why that, that is such a popular beer when it just is not that good. But I know there are very, some very, very strong advocates of IPA. You know, I think maybe that makes me a beer snob or, or whatever case may be, but I, I kind of think of other people as beer snobs and whatnot. You know, it, to me, it's, it's similar to the people that, you know, are like, into fancy wines and whatnot. It's like, just drink a 15 bottle dollar bottle of wine. <laughs> it's been scientifically proven that most experts can't tell the difference between a $15 bottle and a $50 bottle of wine or $500 or maybe a $500. But you know, it's just like, it's fine. I don't know, but that's probably the hottest take I'll have on today. And you know, you guys know that's saying something. So I don't know. You know, in the words of Jesus and Mero, IPAs taste like racism to me. That's how I feel about it. But uh, we will leave it there. 
uh, for that conversation. And uh, I'm sure I will get quite a bit of feedback on that. Uh, if you have any additional questions that you want <laughs> to ask me or have any comments or feedback that you want to provide to anything I've said on today's episode of the podcast or anything I've said on previous episodes or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes of Locked on Falcons. Of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Locked on Falcons, on Facebook at Locked on Falcons, or you can send an email to Locked on Falcons at mail.com. And tomorrow's episode, we will probably answer all the questions that we got today that I wasn't able to get to on today's episode. So look forward to that and we'll see what else is there to talk about. Maybe we'll get into Dak Prescott and what that means now that, you know, Dak is the other top 10 quarterback that we're going to be facing potentially this season. So now there's three on the Falcon schedule in 2021. So does that make the Falcons 2021 playoff prospects significantly harder? Well, maybe we'll talk about that on tomorrow's episode. We'll see what else comes up, but appreciate you guys for tuning in until then.